This week, join us as we go whaling with the whalers. Stay tuned. Welcome to On The Upbeat. I'm Matt. Hey, I'm RJ Phoenix, your favorite host on your favorite pot Scott podcast. You know it's true. Don't try to deny it. It's true. You're even my favorite host on my favorite podca- Scott podcast. So. I, I think Gary's my favorite host when he shows up, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not the, I'm sorry. I left you hanging, Matt. Yeah. No, it's all right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I only created this podcast and invited you all on it. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> All right, we do have an exciting show. Uh, we are excited about this week's guest, as we always are. Um, oh, yeah. I'm we, very excited. <laughs> um, RJ, why don't you tell us who we're going to talk to this week? All right, we're talking to uh, the lead singer and lead guitar player from the Pomps. You may know him from the Pomps, or maybe Big Thing at the Kids' Table, or the Void Union, maybe even Westbound Train or the Inevitables. It's one of my personal favorite people. It's Alex Stern. What's going on, Alex? Ooh. Hi, it's a pleasure to be back. Yay, Alex. We are excited to talk the new Palms record and uh, all things. I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but how are things going for you this evening? Oh, things are very well. I'm on a family trip to Colorado, so we're getting a, a different geography of Alex. Um, <laughs> my personality is pretty much the same, but I'm maybe a little more mellowed out by the time change. <laughs> Uh, awesome. So nice. uh, the altitude affects it a little bit too. I've been here a couple days, so it's not, it's not too bad, but, um, it's gotten to the point in my life when I fly this way, when I fly, uh, you know, from the East coast towards the West, I have real trouble adjusting. It just makes me a, a madman for a few days. Whereas I can go the other way. No problem. Mm. Ooh, well, yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Cause I think you're, you're returning home in that sense. So I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, ancestrally, when I when I fly to Europe, I feel like I've gone back to my ancestors, and it, and and it gives me great comfort, and I sleep very well. <laughs> I didn't think that far east. I meant you know, in everything's context. on a macro level, Matt. Everything's macro. <laughs> awesome. Uh, but uh, have you done anything cool up there in Colorado uh, since you've been on vacation? Yes. Uh, today, I went to the immersive art exhibit Meow Wolf. Which nice. I, I think is might be a bit controversial. I, I don't know. I, I I never even Googled the place before I went there. It was a family decision. Uh, but it was worth a couple hours for sure. Awesome. Um, right. very, 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 very crowded. Um, very Blade Runner, Total Recall. Cool. I liked oh. it. I have no idea. I mean, I know what those movies are, but the the museum name you said, I've, I've never heard of that. I've... It's It's a thing... I think there's one in Santa Fe, and then there's one in Vegas, and there's more yeah. more coming. The it's, one um, in Vegas is a Mega Mart, and if anyone from the Midwest is familiar with a city museum, it's the same kind of idea, kind of an art installation museum you can walk through. Yeah, it's good, and I got to say, I didn't pay for the tickets, so I have no idea if it's worth your money. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a pretty big caveat, but no, I, I I had a good time. It was it was something different to do rather than just look at my phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, and it kept your attention. You didn't feel the need to look at your phone while you were at the museum. Oh, I didn't, I didn't say that. 
uh, but no, no, it, it, it did. And, and I was, I was with my, my child and her cousin and, uh, they had a great time, which, you know, when usually when you put the name museum in front of something and take a seven-year-old to it, it's usually, and granted Meow Wolf didn't call itself a museum. So I guess we can't be sure, but we, we shorthanded it as a museum for them sure. and they had a great time. So in that sense, it's a victory for sure. Sure. If the kids had a good time. Yeah. That's uh, always important. And uh, the last time I think I legit went to a museum probably was all the way back in 2011. So, you know, the museum that Rocky runs up, you know, in, in Philadelphia. In, yeah, the Philadelphia Art Museum. So when my wife and I, my wife is from Philly, technically just outside of Philly, but we went there and I was like, well, I've been to these stairs before. Can we go inside? And she's like, yeah. And she, I guess she'd gone on enough school trips there that she just was bored to death. Me, I found all of it very exciting because I'm like, ooh, an actual, like, legit art museum. Um, even though I'm not super into art, but I'm kind of into, like, random experiences. So, you know, that felt... Well, and, and any of the big metropolis art museums are going to intersect both art and history. So it's sure. it's not... Yeah. It's not just looking at things. You can you can you can tell a story around a lot of it. Oh sure, and yeah. and you can choose to get as into it as you want to. You can you can be granular. You can care about the artist's motivation, or you can just sort of fly through the thing. Whatever whatever it is that that you're yeah. feeling that day. Yeah, yeah. So the, you know, we have a lot of good museums in L.A., Matt. Check them out. Well, the Universal the, Studios, not <laughs> Disneyland. Yes, uh, all of the Knitting Factory. The, <laughs> uh, um, the only museum I've been in LA is the Museum of Tolerance. So, um, yeah. That's oh funny. wow! That's I haven't funny. even been to the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Uh, that's that's a highlight. Actually, I take I take that back. I was actually. Uh, maybe a few years ago, 2017, 18, maybe was at the, it was a Asian American history museum. So, oh, cool. I was at that. That was definitely. All right, so it's settled. You got to do one more museum this year. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Kick the family. You'll, you'll find, oh. you'll find a place to go. It'll be fun. Does the like kids discovery museum count? <laughs> Cause, sure. Because that's where we've got to. That's where we've got to take the kids. Just try to learn something. Oh, <laughs> I'll learn anything. I'll go learn how gravity actually works. <laughs> if you walked in there not knowing how gravity actually works, and you walked out knowing it, that would be a successful day. <laughs> it would be. Um, actually, it's one of those things. Like I know how it works, but don't ask me to explain it because I'm not gonna. It's not gonna work. Well, you're, you're already ahead of me because I would try to explain it without knowing how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching this um, uh, this app, Apple Plus show. It's called For All Mankind, and it's about space exploration and all this stuff. And so they're talking about stuff. It's one of those things like I follow it, but don't ask me to explain anyone else what they said because I'm lost. <laughs> so because they're talking about like how a ship spinning creates gravity, and they were talking about it in very, um, you know, clear how gravity works terms and my kid is just like what did what are they talking about i'm like look don't ask i they're talking about how gravity works we oh. paid the taxes so you can go to school kid we exactly. school exactly like that's your does, teacher does this look like school this is home i i'm just like ooh, look at the space you know ship 
that's all I care about. That's why I'm watching the show. All right. Uh, RJ, how are things for you? How was uh, your weekend? Yeah, no, it was a relaxing weekend. Once again, didn't do much except for work a little bit. Worked a lot less this weekend, which is pretty rad. Um, other than that, just to hang it out. You know, not too crazy. How about yourself, Matthew? Um, like I said, I was watching that uh, For All Mankind TV show. Uh, I actually wrapped that up. Um, and uh, I also went and saw the new Ant-Man movie. Uh, you know, so that was good and fun. And, nice. um, yeah, let's see. I, uh, oh, I had Saturday all day to myself in the house because my wife and kids. How were, much laundry did you do? Because I always do that when I have the house to myself. I I didn't do any of my own laundry, which is weird because I should have. But I did do some, like, towels and stuff. Like, I know you you messaged me about, like, oh, good day to go clean. I'm like, are you <laughs> I think I said me? listen to Sky Records and clean the baseboards. Yeah. yeah that's... <laughs> I, I I cleaned some towels. That's what I did. All right, hey, hey, hey. And I, and there I wa- you go. <laughs> and I watched a bunch of TV and stuff. So yeah, they went to uh, my wife and kids went up to the mountains um, near where we live, and they went you know sledding and tubing and stuff like that. And I was like, I- I'm not gonna go because I will uh, die. Um, <laughs> so I <laughs> figured it's a good reason not to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they the there are mountain people who said, don't ever come back here. Um, so yeah, Matt always <laughs> listens to the mountain people. I do. You got to listen to the mountain people. All right. Uh, so yeah, let's get into some ska news. Here we go. Yeah. Yes, Ska News, where we tell you about some of the latest releases and happenings in the Ska community. Uh, first up, uh, we have a new song from the the band um, Sorry Sweetheart. Uh, Sorry Sweetheart is out of Denver, Colorado. Uh, they I've, are... seen, I've seen them before. They've played a Pig D before. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I know, I know that band. They are a hardcore Ska punk band, uh, and they released a new song uh on february 17th called you never like my band and uh it's streaming everywhere now so let's take a listen to a clip of it
I love this band. I love this song. I think it's great. Uh, Sorry Sweetheart is one of the bands that I discovered right as I started this podcast. So they've always sort of like, you know, kept my attention and and I'm always checking out their stuff and when they're putting stuff out. So um, we should definitely one day have them on because I'm excited to oh, talk. Yeah, I agree. I, I have also been uh, I've been aware and I've been uh, picking up their releases for a while. Yeah, they're fun. Fun. Act. I'm I'm curious in that song if it's anti brand new for music or for personal behavior. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making a joke. The, no. the, it's it's it seems like they're they're more they're more offended by the band, but I'd, I'd be curious to know. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll have to have them on and ask. That would be a great question. To ask. See, <laughs> I, I could, I could do all your stuff for you. Oh, great! Well, let's. You can have. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, Alex, one thing about me is I'm not busy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're in like 50 bands. And you can do a ska podcast. Yeah, you got nothing, nothing but time. Uh, all right, uh, RJ, uh, you got some Sky News for us. What do you got? Uh, yeah, recently the band Los uh, Guanabana released their self-titled album. Uh, I wanted to play a track off of it. It is probably my favorite track on the album. We're going to join it a little bit in progress because almost all of their songs have like long lead-ups before they get to uh, the Sky and the hook, if you will. Uh, but here's my favorite song off that album. It is called Horus. Uh, yeah i really hadn't heard of them before this release and uh oh. i was like whoa that's they're making that jazz. barry sax player work real hard they're making him do the do the skanks and then the parts you know i i envy that guy good job yeah and uh, as longtime listeners of the show know i will fall on the sword for a barry sax player barry more barry sax and scott fantastic instrument very expensive that's why you don't see it as much <laughs> yeah that's, it. that's exactly why <laughs> that's funny all right. What else you got, RJ? Uh, so from uh, Hanover, Germany, the band uh, uh, Weisskraker, or should it be Weisskraker? You speak German, Alex. Uh, it'd be, it'd be, be, if it has a W at the start, that's a, v- a Weiss. Yeah. That's what I thought, too. And then I looked it up and I made sure to do a translation thing. And it was pretty, still pronouncing it with a W. And I was like, interesting. Well, I mean, if it's Weiss is white. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if you were to get a white sauce, it'd be a vice vest. Yeah. So yeah, that was exactly. so. Yeah, I'd go like I'd go by. by I, I took three years of German like twenty years ago. I, I, I I'm glad I had some backup from Alex though. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, and to, to be clear, like I'm I'm not good at the language. I I butcher it a lot, and it's very <laughs> it's very funny whenever I'm there with a band because they go, "Well, we got we got to take Sturm with us. He, he speaks German," and then basically. I make up for the fact that I don't really know the language by yelling it. If we're in a tense situation, 
It seems to work though. They, they just, it, it, you know, when I was over there, it worked for the the month that I was. I, I don't think they're used to people standing up to them. <laughs> and I think you can kind of get whatever you want if you use the right tone. I, I think there's this a is bit this of is fun. Alex's travel tip. Yeah, there's a little bit of like, ooh, the Americans trying to speak our language. Let's let's pay attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. All right, cool. So uh, from uh, Vice Cracker, they have their new single. It is called uh, No Wall Too High. It's the second single they've put out so far this year. Uh, I hope this means there's an album on the way. There, there was one wall in Germany that was too high. Yeah, <laughs> for a while. <laughs> they managed to get rid of it with the help of David Hasselhoff. Uh, so... <laughs> That's, Here we go. That, that's true. No wall. That's history. Look it up, kids. Yeah. <laughs> no wall too high by uh, Vice Craker. song right there that's uh, a fun song with a good like uh keep keep going stay strong it would be a great great theme song for an animated series oh hey not wrong yeah yeah it's got it's 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 positive it makes you want to see what's happening next and it's got hooks yeah All right. Um, now that we have educated everyone on ska news and how David Hasselhoff brought down the Berlin Wall. Yeah, he was just there. He cheered them on through song. It was lovely. <laughs> he was actually trying to keep it up. Not, not many Whoa. people know that. About him. <laughs> Whoa. He, he, he had his hands. He, he, he was a stalwart. <laughs> Apparently he was the Dark Knight writer. Uh, Ooh. Ooh. Nice. <laughs> All right. That's the evil one, Garth, right? Oh, yes. Yes. The the one with the goatee. So that's, yeah. Because in the 80s, that's how you knew they were the bad one. <laughs> they had the goatee. <laughs> and I think Star Trek did that, too. I think there was like... Yeah, a, they, I think they originated that trope. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. All right. I miss tropes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, made, they made it easier to be a viewer. Very true. Oh, they still exist. They so still exist. But so many times they pop up to subvert them instead of just letting them be the trope. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I think if you watch, actually, I think if you watch a lot of like uh, uh, network television, they all exist. Like sitcom tropes, like they all still exist. <laughs> so, um, well, I'll never find out. Yeah, what do you else? Because you're because <laughs> you're not seventy and, and watching network te- television. But uh, all right, so. 
Uh, Alex, we want to talk about the new record, but before we do, because I don't think we've ever really discussed, because the other time you were on, you were uh, you were here to talk about uh, the Inevitables. I yeah, and, kinda, I, and I was really just like eye candy, you know. They're kind like, of being was, chaperoned by dad and dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they were they were not letting me be myself, if I do say so. All right, so we want to kind of get a little bit of history on the pumps. So I want the full Alex Stern. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> All right, June 11th, 1981, Newton, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did the pumps get their start? Um, well, it's kind of a cool thing. So. Um, it's there's I'll bring in the other members later, but it basically started with me and Casey. Casey's our keyboard player. Um, we were in a band called the New Collisions with Zach, who plays drums for the Pomps now. Um, and it was a new wave band. Um, and I was playing bass and we did a bunch of cool stuff. But, you know, like most bands that were actually like we, we, we were kind of trying to make it like I there's a lot of there's a lot of different politics involved with that. Like we weren't. I wasn't running the show or anything like that, but it was like, it was an ambitious band that had some funding. It was, it was, uh, we did a small tour with the B-52s, stuff like that. And, uh, um, but like a lot of things that are trying to do that, it just, it just totally exploded. Um, you know, like one day you're like planning things the next day. It's like, Oh, there's not a band anymore. Um, and so, um, I was like, well, why don't we try doing a, a two-tone band? Cause we, you know, we had all been in bands like that before. Casey had been in Void Union before I was for a while and then he left. So there's, there's a lot of crossed histories there and timelines, but so we had one rehearsal and Zach was at the first rehearsal. So technically he can say he's our original drummer, um, <laughs> but he didn't stay with it. For, and um, I was surprised that um, Jameson from Have Nots wanted to do it too. I thought he was going to be too busy with Have Nots, um, but he was on board Um Maybe he regretted it the first couple of rehearsals, getting to know me. But then, then I think he likes me now. Um, but um, and so yeah, and then my friend Rick ended up taking over on drums at the time, um, and and we just kind of went for it and just started writing songs right away. Our first show was at a birthday party at Rick's warehouse, um, and you know we recorded the record shortly after that. And, you know, it's funny because it wasn't that long ago, but it was like a totally different world in terms of Boston real estate. Like we practiced in a warehouse and it was fine and we always had a place to practice and we met up at, you know, like 445 on a random Wednesday. We could just do it. It's not like that at all anymore. Mm. Um, So we were we were kind of one of the last groups of people to benefit from that. And and yeah, we kind of had a running start. We played a lot of shows um and the album was actually like pretty well received when it first came out our first initial songs um especially because it's important to also note like ska was a wasteland at that time there was nobody Mm -hmm. starting new ska bands at that time not literally nobody don't call and tell me about your ska band that you started in 2011 i don't care you're special but anyway (laughs) but but we 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 were one of the only ones and uh and we were able to sort of coast off that for a while awesome yeah, I remember back because that's also when I was getting 23 minutes of ska started and I wanted to find more current bands instead of playing a bunch of 90s bands and a bunch of unknown like local bands to the Midwest that I knew. And I found you guys pretty quickly, I believe, and started putting you on. Yeah, yeah, we, we were we were pretty active, actually, um, you know, until until I ended up linking up with Big D um, that slowed down our activity a good amount. But mm. uh, but. 
the first two years or so, yeah, we 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 put some hustle into it. Uh, how would you describe the pump sound? Well, it's pretty different now than when it started. Like it, it's it's its original idea was like pretty unambitious. It was like, oh, there's no two tone bands. Let's just be a two tone band. Sure. It's just that I think the stuff that we listened to started to to creep in a lot more. Even I mean, and even the the first the first album doesn't like sound like a specials revival or something, but sure. I would say the specials were more of an influence than they are, than they are now for us. Uh, and now I think we're trying to just keep ska and reggae as our basis, but beyond that, we're not concerned about whether the sonics of the instruments fit genre tropes, you know, for, sure. for instance, I, I, th I think we are beyond that. Um, and we're not going to freak out if um, there's a section that could be considered not ska. But it's it's always in the DNA of the thing. And I think one of the the things that's very different about this new album is just um, really being able to embrace more open strings on the guitar, more, um, you know, longer delay tails, th things like that. Um, and a little bit less worry about whether or not it's faithful to the, the two-tone pulse. Mm -hmm. When did work start on the latest record, Bottom of the Pumps? When did you start putting it together? Um, so a couple of the songs in very like infant form are hanging around from like several years ago, but in general, it was a late 2021 thing. Like I, I just kind of, it was at the beginning of the big Omicron surge in Boston and things were like pretty depressing. And I was just thinking, it's really dumb that this band doesn't have like a proper full length because our first album, it, it gets over the top of being an album, but you could also call it a long EP. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, who really knows what's going to happen with bands in general going forward? And I think it would be pretty dumb if we didn't contribute to the canon with one thing that's definitive. And so... You know, I just kind of texted everybody and I didn't expect everybody to say yes because I, it was a very weird time. But everybody, everybody did. And so Soup to Nuts, it actually came together fast. Like I wrote, I wrote a lot of the songs myself just because we could not get together to rehearse during that time. I mean, you know, it, I know different people have different levels of caution with COVID, but we're parents. We are old enough ourselves so that it's not like a given that you're going to be okay. And that our parents are certainly old enough that it's not a given that they're going to be okay. So I know everybody has their different theories, but in late 2021, at that time, we weren't getting together. It was not a wise move. And so I did a lot of the heavy lifting demoing at home. And I had a Dropbox going with 10 songs at a given time. And my, what I would do is I'd wake up every day and I'd say, these are your 10 songs. If you don't get to work, these are the 10 songs that are going to be on the album. This is what people have to hear. And I'm not saying that any of it was crap or anything like that, but it was. it's a pretty strong motivator to know that, like, there's the finish line. What do you want to bring across it? And so we went to Mad Oak Studios late January, early February of 2022, um, and it was super quick. Um, we did do one round of rehearsals before then, like Crazy Basked and, and really just trying to – because we wanted to be prepared. But, yeah, it was just, just about – seven hours of rehearsal total and then we went in but we we play even though the record sounds slick and a little bit metronomic it was it was played live you know nothing's nothing's programmed it was uh it was us in a room there's bleed and then four days of overdubbing and vocals and and that's that's what you're hearing it's you know it, it actually is a um it was easy it really was just easy
for me. Yeah. And there are other people in the band who had to learn all my songs that might not say that it's easy. And <laughs> and and that is totally fair. But in the grand scheme of things, when I, I've been involved in records that are a slog and where people really don't like each other by the end, people don't like the people making and that was not this was just like, oh, it's done. <laughs> that was that was the vibe. Yeah, you said you went and did this at Mad Oak and you worked with uh, uh, Ben Grotto. You have a history of working with Ben. How did you oh, yeah. uh, link up with him to start with? So the, first thing ben, the, the first thing Ben did was the final New Collisions EP. Um, or it's not, it didn't even end up being an EP, but there's like five songs. Interestingly, one of the songs was Fire in the Neighborhood. There's a version, there's oh, a wow. version kicking around. Um, I'll see if I can find it sometime. I'd like to post it. We we have some seven inches of it somewhere that I'm pretty sure about. Um, but um, and so we did five songs then, and it was really it was him and uh, Sean Slade, who's like a, a legend. Uh, that was the, one of the coolest things about New Collisions. We got to work with Slade and Caltry, and what they did is they did the first Radiohead record. They did Let's Face It by the Boston's. They did so anyway. I through Sean Slade, we got to meet Benny um and he was he was cool and then he did some of um the big d stop and stroll records a lot of mad oak was done there a lot of that was done at mad oak um and then the first time he worked with the pomps was the alternate america smoking pomps thing um and that's mad oak had moved into a new studio by that point so the mad oak where stomp and stroll happened was a different facility uh and so he did that and he did drums and liars and that i feel like that's where like a working relationship of how the pomps would sound working with him kind of developed uh, where we, you know, sort of bigger snare sounds and um, a little more jingle jangle on the guitars. I think, you know, like Al- alternate America is a pretty punky record. It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to listen to um, a new song off the record Monarchs. And uh, what can you tell us about this song? Um, it's the weirdest song on the record for sure. And everybody seems to really like it, which makes me think that like, maybe we should have rolled that out a little earlier, but, um, <laughs> it's, it's basically like, it's to me when I, like, I don't pick out influences before the fact I can always pick them out after it's like, you've got thin Lizzie, you've got probably Ted Leo Interpol. I hear a little bit of Interpol and the double stops of the guitar and then Victor Rice, like that big, that big sort of uh minor key sky intro is definitely an ode to him um and it's it's actually a pair it was originally called temporary states part two and there's a song called temporary states on the album so it's sort of like we didn't want to be like coheed so we're not going to do a bunch of little like sweets um <laughs> but you can consider this sort of like a, like one of our coheed songs i guess um and it's cool and it's honestly it's um it's funny that we ended up on on bad time records because it's sort of a song about how like all the like a lot of the old ska people we're being like, frankly, assholes about bad time records. It's also about people being into like Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson and getting your news from some sort of, we'll be kind and say stale sources. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's about um, how like you are going to grow old and you have to let new people come in and do their thing. You can't, you, you can't be desperate. It's not, it's not a cool look. And so that's what the song's about. And it's got a uh, twin lead, Twin lead sort of Lynn Lizzie style guitars in the middle, which I think it's really cool that we were able to sneak that into a Pops record. Awesome. So we will take a listen to this song and then we'll come back and chat more with Alex. Here we go. Sure. <laughs> 
but the tent won't let me in. They're assessing all the new arrivals, but they won't accept has beens. song that's a good song that's a good song um one of the things that stood out overall for me on this entire album is that i actually think and rj we've talked about this before you know those ska albums that we think non-ska fans would like and i think oh yeah definitely I, i think this falls into that category 
um, simply because of its heavy sort of new wave influence and sort of pop pop sensibilities. So yeah, I that's um, as much as I love Scott, I also love the idea that it's like you said, like you're not trying to hide the ska of it, but you kind of you're not really worried if other influences fall into it. So um, yeah, well, it's also it's just the fact that there are a lot of very good ska albums that are made by ska people for ska people, and we will certainly get more of those, and that's a good thing. But you can't really argue that we need more. I, I think is I I'm not saying we've reached our quota, but I don't think that I could make a sort of slackers quality traditional ska you know skinhead reggae album. I don't think I could make you know we have Hepcat albums. We don't need we don't need the Boston version of Hepcat. <laughs> at least yeah. at least or, you know or, and and whenever whenever I try to write for another band that maybe has more of those skills. Uh, it's it's not a disaster, but it doesn't hit the mark. Like this is mm. this is the only way I hit the mark. So yeah. this is just how I do it. Awesome. Uh, you said something I think online the other day about how accepting the young ska fans of uh, bands that have members over the age of thirty five. Uh, yeah, and, and I, that's what I originally when the first I heard Monarchs was that it was kind of touching on that a little bit. Yeah, I I well and. and to be clear, I think the music scene in general is getting better because there was this period, we'll call it the MySpace period, just as a shorthand. It's not just because of MySpace. It's just there was sort of this idea that it was like the minute you turn 25 and a half, you had nothing at all to contribute to society and or to culture, I should say. And we got a lot of crap. Uh, and it's not because young people are stupid and can't do it, but it's because the cycles of capitalism have made it so it takes a lot longer to establish yourself as a person. And so, you know, whereas our parents, when they were 22, might have been fully foreign beings, we're not. It takes a lot longer. And so we have to let um, we have to let people over 30, even over 40, not admitting to that into the uh, <laughs> in, in, into the uh, discussion. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because, yeah, I think there's, um, you know, there's definitely, you know, even growing up myself, there was the idea that if you didn't have, you know, a gigantic savings account and a house by the time you were 30, you have failed in life. You have missed the mark. Or it's kind of like you've achieved all, you hit, 30 and then you've achieved all you're going to achieve and then you somewhere around 40 is the back end and going down and you're not going to do anything new and there's no well be- yeah and and I, and again i just i think our generation is just starting to shift that timeline and shift yeah. I, the difference is most of our generation will never be able to afford to buy real estate um and that's by design that is a planned thing but leaving that is leaving that milestone aside you know, even just the way we look and know how to take care of ourselves, I believe the common standard they use is, I think Abe Vigoda was 53 in The Godfather. I, I think that's the standard. And he looks like a modern 85-year-old. You know you know what I mean? And, yeah, sure. you know, whereas I think, you know, they showed a picture of David Duchovny the day he was 53. And it's like, you know, he <laughs> looks younger than me now. So, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, it's it's important. But even, even if none of those timelines had shifted, even a 1975 35 year old still had something to offer music you know they sure, weren't sure. they weren't finished you didn't have to put them out on an ice flow <laughs> yeah 
Um, all right. So you mentioned this record being on Bad Time Records. How did how did that come to happen? How did that happen? How'd that work out? They they begged me, dude. They just begged me. No. Um, <laughs> um, um, one of uh, the first bands that we made friends with way back when was a band called The Snails. They're a band from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And um, we had them up to Boston and we put them up. I think I put up half and Thad from Westbound Train put up half. Um, and that was the start of, you know, a long friendship. And and I think I think Tim from that band who eventually went on to found Catbite um, kind of understood the pops, understood what was good about it early on. And so when I told him that we were making something new, he said, you know, I'm going to put you on an email with Mike and and that's that's how it happened. And it was pretty easy. Like, you know, from there, I just I didn't. I would never show people demos because it's just it's not worth it because whenever somebody gets a demo, they go, oh, can't wait to hear the sounds when it's recorded. So we just waited <laughs> until the like the whole thing was tracked and I sent it to him. And then, you know, uh, it was just a matter of waiting out the the vinyl timeline, which is longer than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and it's it's been great. There's no, no drama. I've always said one thing that's very good about working with him is because he has his own band, Kill Lincoln. He's not trying to do anything vicarious through his bands. Like he he gets it. He gets fulfillment out of his band. So he's he's just kind of a, a straight shooter. Whereas I've had music business people before who are monsters because they're not getting that sort of they're not getting that satisfaction. And when you mess up, they take it personally because they're living through you. They're you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've had a couple people like that. So you're not getting that at all. This is a very very simple, and he he kind of has a system. So. Yeah, you either you're either on board or you're not. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yes, Mike. uh, You know, we've had him on and he's a straight shooter. And he definitely, uh, I think, strikes me as someone who knows what he wants to do and then does it. So and I don't I don't get any sort of uh, BS or game playing sense from him. So, yes. And and sort of talking to people uh, that seems to be. A very cohesive thought. Um, so you mentioned, you know, being in other bands and writing for other bands. So we had a, a question sort of about this uh, from our Patreon subscriber, Casey, who wanted to know what's it like at writing for like up to like four different bands, you know, Big D, Westbound Train, The Palms, The Inevitables. You know, uh, do you ever, while you're writing for one band, realize, hey, this doesn't really work for this band, but, you know, it could go over here is, is you know, so what's it like sort of uh, trying to fill all those shoes? Oh, well, uh, first of all, luckily, the bands have, gen- in general, they have their own process. So, for instance, Big D, um, Dave probably correctly feels that, like, for it to be authentic, the lyrics have to come from him. So I would ne- I I might tinker a line here or there for him if I think something, but but that's his dominion. And so my goal, if I'm writing something for that, is to write something that he can write over. Um, and usually he has the kind of thing he wants to do. But as people heard from the last album, it was pretty diverse, and the songs that I ended up sort of making happen were a little more in the sort of ska reg- like. The the second single New Day was like was like a, a stern backing track. Like I I I did that. And so um in the original inspiration, that was kind of like an 80s thing. Um that sort of and we kind of uh, gradually beat the 80s out of it. Um 
Uh, Inevitables, you start from Vinny's lyrics. So it's a totally, totally different process. And then we'll we'll have a vibe and then Obi will chime in with a melody here and there. Or, and then and then him and I will do both little lyric changes to because, you know, if you're writing lyrics, but you're not singing them in your head at the same time, sometimes you have to add things. Um, and then um, Void Union, I'm like kind of only on the hook for one or two songs a record, really, unless I feel like doing an instrumental, which I did for the last one. So it's they've got a smaller aperture. They're not they're not quite as interested in like my weirdness. Um, so I can, uh, you know, which I'm not going to say is to their credit, but I understand it. And, um, then I think like, uh, Westbound Train, I wrote lyrics for one song on the new album. Um, and then I let Obi obviously heavily edit them because, um, he has a different worldview than me, but, it, but so yeah, we got, uh, but when it comes time to sit down and like write a song from scratch in general, they're going to be pop songs, um, you know, with some exceptions. Yeah. Do you, would you working with so many different in so many different bands, would you say that part of sort of what you kind of have to do to make it through is kind of knowing what the other person expects from you? So I don't want to it sounds terrible to use this term as like knowing your role. That sounds Oh yeah, no no, that's that's what it is. And the truth is that I don't and I piss people off all the time. I mean, I I I, I not piss off, but but no, like I mean, there's a like you know when you send something through a text when you've been talking and you send the song over and then you're like you get nothing back. Like you you know. And I get that reaction like a lot. Um and sometimes I think they're wrong and sometimes I think they're right. But my the the thing with writing songs is it's romanticized in movies and media is is a bunch of like little miracles and and nobody compromising and and getting it over the top. But the truth is like you sometimes have to send people your not best work to get to your best work. Mm. Um and so I I try to stay within the assignment but I'm not I'm not great at sitting with the assignment. I'm great at writing pomp songs and that's why <laughs> I really like doing the pomps I like doing the pomps records because I it, I don't even text them the songs because I know that they're going to play them and like them, you know. <laughs> I don't have to deal with that. I leave the Dropbox, they can look at it, they can not look at it. They, and either way like in the end they're my the fellow members of the pomps are my customers and they're going to be satisfied. Like that's that's who we write it for. And um yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so I, I I feel like I have a very high kill rate with hitting the mark for that being my target audience. Like yeah. those guys generally uh, don't have to look back at anything going, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that one if yeah. I could do it again. I'm sure there's one song, but you know, everybody's <laughs> got one. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't listen to that record and go, yeah, you could totally do this record without that song. No, I think it all. No, well, I, I, <laughs> because I wasn't sure how the vinyl timing would, would work with the, I, I did consider cutting both Monarchs and Grudges, one or the other. Um, I'm glad I didn't because people seem to really like those songs. Um, but they would have made it into the world anyway. They would have become seven inches or bonus mm. material. But yeah. uh, better for everybody that they're on the record. Yeah, I agree. Better for the environment that it's only one record. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. More record, more songs on vinyls, better for the environment. That's that's a... Uh... Squeeze them in as much as even if the bass sound suffers a little, you gotta squeeze them all in. It's it's for the it's for you know the environment. It's important. Um, you've played a few shows recently. How's it been to play the the new songs live? How's how does that feel? Um, 
it's really fun. Uh, you can definitely tell when uh, when we're playing uh, the excitement about the new songs, and you can tell that we really like playing Heart Flipper um, because it's 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 kind of a soft rock song, and we give it just a little bit more edge live, and um, it's got some starts and stops, and so you can really so we've really enjoyed that. Um, we've been opening the set with Elite on We, which was the last single from the album, and. That's a nice, nice one to get into a set with. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really, at this point, because because we filled up the whole album, you got to know that we we back all the songs. We're going to try to get to all of them live. Monarchs is going to take a little longer. That is a complicated song. Um, and one of the few on the record that's a little more reliant on overdubs than sort of just one guitar. But uh, but we're going we're gonna to get to all of them for sure. So I always know this. Uh, this this will kind of be our last question before we get to Scott picks. And I know this question is always a little bit loaded, or at least you know there's probably maybe you know a lot of explanation that goes into the answer. But what if uh, what's something you'd like to see change in the ska scene? The the thing is, I think most of the change that I want to see is happening. I think. Um, Bands are focusing on making packages of smaller bands, which means people some people think they understand how music works as a business, but they don't. When you see a bunch of your favorite bands getting together, they're all leaving money on the table. Is what they're doing. They're all saying they're all saying we're willing to give up some for the good of this to make sure that we give a great show every time. And in the end, that actually makes you more money. But but initially, you know. So I think we're we're seeing, and you're not just seeing that with the bad time thing. You know, we did a. Planet Smashers Mustard Plug Big D thing mm. um, earlier at the, towards the end of last year, and we're going to be trying to do things like that again. So I think that's happening. The one thing we need to improve is every time there's a package like that, there needs to be a great local band in the first slot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something we could all... Um, we probably... Uh, and every band, I think like a lot of bands are guilty of this from a headlining perspective, but like we should be putting more bands, smaller bands on tours. And we probably should be trying to pay them as well as we can too. Um, which is, which is hard to, you know, it's hard because when you, when you divvy up all the money at the end, nobody's getting rich. And that's, what's one of the, one of the things that's very annoying about reading online conversation about music is people are constantly thinking they understand the incentives of bands and the incentive is never money. Cause there's no money. In fact, I'll say it, I'll even swear that there's no fucking money. I want people to understand that. Like there's no, nobody's getting rich. Um, and that's a very frustrating thing as a musician to see once in a while that people think that, you know, there's a, a real capitalist imperative here. Cause it's, it's not, it's dead. If, if you want to make money, buy and operate a dry cleaner, like seriously, <laughs> don't start, don't start a sky man. No, I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, um, so I think, I think, but still, even within, the the meager availability i think we need um everything is more expensive and we need to be really like pooling resources i think is the way i'd put it that that's a long it's a long way of saying we've got to pool resources bands might have to like share some vans there's 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 things we can do to like keep it alive because it will it like not only will it die it's being killed it's being killed on purpose and not just sky like all diy music there's a there's a concerted effort to kill it, and we need to protect it. <clears throat> Ticketmaster. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, uh, amongst and, others, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, for for sure, but but it's it's. 
people yeah. don't like it when you flirt with politics but uh, i'm sorry it, but but politics is the really the study of how we divvy up resources and and so you 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 can't avoid it but like it's um killing creative expression and fulfillment is a huge product of cap is a is a big project of capitalism it's one thing they want to happen um and it's not a conspiracy theory to think that i think you can just think of it from a common sense if you run even a small business you don't want employees who dream you want employees who um think this is the best it's ever going to get so right. you know that's just yeah. a small scale example and so that's if we can pull resources to at least stave that off i think that's a, a great thing we could do yeah so uh scott fans go to scott shows buy merch i remember one time uh this was a long time ago someone said to me oh that that band must be doing well they have a big banister and i said i'm sorry that doesn't mean shit <laughs> does it a lot of bands buy a big banister the money's going back into the band most of the time. It's just cycle. They're they do it to do it. Like so, if they do make money, most of it, you know, yeah, they probably if they're going on tour, they're feeding themselves, but it's going right back to the. Well, band. I think that's the most important thing. Like like people get very smug all of a sudden about what musicians should have, and it's like, okay, like say I made five hundred dollars a day, which I do not on the road, but let's pretend that I did. <laughs> right. uh, even how many days on the air do, of the year do I spend on the road? I know. Let's say if I was having a fan, like I, if I didn't have a family, like say I spent a hundred and say every one of those days I got paid, you could do the math. That would be $50,000 a year. Um, how much, Yeah. you, you know, how much, I, and, and that's not, that's not how much time I spend on the road and that's not what I get paid. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying there aren't fringe benefits. I mean, you, you get, you get fed, um, sure. you know, very often, sometimes, sometimes well, um, Sometimes, sometimes people take care of you. Um, so I, I, it's it's not necessarily a one to one that your fifty thousand dollars salary at State Farm is the same as your fifty thousand yeah. dollars salary at fake ska band I just made up because very few people are making that, <laughs> especially in a ska band because there's so many people. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I, I mean it's our and and also a lot of bands don't want to talk about it because they don't want to seem like losers to their friends. Um, sure. Like I I make more than that as a human in the year because I have other employment. But um, but I think it's important to start like not being ashamed of that and just understand that like, yeah, this is a very low money enterprise. And you're also allowed to get mad at people who insist otherwise, people who think that you owe them. You don't. You, you owe them a good show to the extent that you can. You should take care of your body, drink a lot of water, get some sleep um, and really try to be courteous because most fans are lovely and wonderful. Um, but if you meet one who's not... <laughs> that was that was a that was a gun. That's, that, it was finger guns. You just yeah. You just, not a real not not a real one. I don't know what the licensing in Colorado is. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're gonna do ska picks of the week. And uh, Alex, why don't you tell us about your ska pick? Uh, did we end up going with Skavuvi? Yes. Can I give my honorable mention pick that people can look for, even though it's not going to be played? Absolutely. Okay, so there's a band from Lowell, Massachusetts called the shots they have a very interesting history uh history uh they actually figure a little bit in weezer's history if you really dig into it but that's a it's it's a tenuous connection that i won't get into anyway their album that has the song i know a place is not available on streaming but you can find the song on youtube it is not a ska song except that the guitar solo is over a really kicking ska punk part but anyway it's it's um 
one of the bands that really inspired me. Um, and I think to the extent that I've gotten to do any in- interviews at all, I really try to mention them in every one right now. But my actual pick we went with was um, Boyo by Skavuvi and the Epitones. I think they premiered this song at the New England Ska Festival in 1997 when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wasn't their first time, but I believe Chris Murray wrote it, and they mentioned that on stage. And that was sort of a world's colliding moment for me, realizing that all these bands are working together. Um, and it's it's a really great song. The Chris, Chris Murray has his own version. I think it's on four-track Aganza. Uh, and that's really great, too. But Skavuvi were always the best horn arrangers. And I think it's only fitting that the band without horns is making the comments about horns right now. So, <laughs> all right, let's check it out. <laughs> And a return to our earlier discussion about the Barry Sachs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. All right. So my ska pick is from a band uh, called Respite. They are a very, very new band. Uh, literally, I'm about to play for you a clip from their very first single that they've put out uh, on streaming platforms anywhere. And um, they, I think they're literally high schoolers. And uh, it's a, a four-person band, and um, yeah, they're from Riverside, California, and I basically because they're playing this um, show. Uh, the headliner is Mad, the Mad Caddies, here in uh, Southern California on March fourth. They're playing at the Garden Amp, and I just happened to look through the the who was playing, and this band came up, and I checked them out and uh yeah so we're gonna listen to uh a song called punk invasion by respite So yeah, I took a listen to that and I was like, "This is really good." And uh, yeah, it is. Uh, I yeah, checked, great, great job. I checked out their social media. They do a bunch of 
covers and uh, some of their originals. I'm, I'm not sure if, like, when they start putting out uh, more original, they may fall more into a punk category. But, you know, uh, this song, you know, had that. Yeah, that's a ska song. That's yeah. enough for me. <laughs> and uh, they, w- I saw this video where they were doing a killer cover of uh, Rage Against the Machines, Killing in the Name of. And I was just like, I am super impressed because... Uh, to tackle a Tom Morello guitar, you know, uh, lick is uh, super impressive to me. And to be what I'm I'm really assuming here, but uh, I think I'm correct, uh, uh, to be a high schooler, you know, I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't get past learning the guitar in high school <laughs> and still don't. Um, all right, RJ, tell us about your ska pick. Speaking of ska songs by bands that aren't ska bands, uh, <laughs> One of my favorite uh, bands out of uh, Madison, Wisconsin is Telethon. They're mostly a power pop band, uh, but they've always snuck in ska songs every once in a while. Uh, they all used to be in ska bands at some point they've mentioned, but they've never mentioned which bands those were. Uh, and they even had Roger from Less Than Jake on an album there. So they got their cred uh, from their latest album, Swim Out Past the Breakers. They have the one ska song on it, and it's called Cyan. I wrote an email that I thought was fine I wrote an email that I thought made sense I separated with divider lines Both of the headers and even invented it That's a good song right there. Yeah, there's that's one of those bands I found on uh, Bandcamp, searching for bands that tag themselves as ska. Oh. And I listened to the EP they had just put out like the day before, and there was not any ska on that one, but I fell in love from the first track, and then it's like, okay, I'm buying that, then slowly getting into the back catalog and just keeping up with them. And yeah, every once in a while, they just uh, pop a little ska track in, and that makes me a happy guy. That's awesome. All right. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for hanging out tonight. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Listeners, if you want to hear more from Alex, you should consider joining. And you do. <laughs> and you do. Especially now he's going to be like off the cuss, off the cuff. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing about me. I'm usually pretty on the cuff. <laughs> um, uh, you should consider joining our um Patreon, uh, $4 a month, gets you at least two bonus episodes, usually more, uh, and also 10% off merchandise and uh, access to a private Facebook page where we have random Scott debates about which comic book character plays or likes in what ska band. Recently, we posted about, uh, Gary posted about what Ninja Turtles, uh, what the Ninja Turtles' favorite ska bands would um like so you know you want to check that out and and, you know i'm still trying to fill out which x-men play which uh instrument in their hypothetical ska band (laughs) yes so if you want to know all that you gotta you gotta sign up for the patreon otherwise you're not going to know uh 
But, of course, we have, like, over 50 bonus episodes with some of your favorite ska bands. So, yeah, check that out and consider joining. All right, listeners, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And until next time... Keep listening to ska. You've been listening to On The Upbeat. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you get all the new episodes as soon as they're available. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at On The Upbeat Ska. Follow our Spotify playlist, Ska Favorites. It features all the songs heard on the show. Please consider joining our Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash ontheupbeatska to sign up today. And thank you for supporting On The Upbeat.